morning, I'm Greg Vicar. I'm one of the pastors here, and this morning we have an amazing person, someone some of you may have met last year. I met him last year for the first time. We connected on WhatsApp, and I've been hearing weekly, sometimes monthly, all the different things that God is doing in the wonderful uh, continent of India. Now, the man I'm going to introduce to you, he's not Indian, and you would be like, wait a minute, what's he doing talking to us about India? Well, he lives in London, England. His name is Ed Michelson, and you're going to hear his story here. Come on up, Ed. God bless you. Let's give a warm welcome to Ed. Thank you. God bless you, brother. Bless you. Thank you. Well, thank you, friends. It's uh, a joy and a pleasure. My Bible's closed already. Joy and a pleasure to be with you here this morning and uh, to get to speak to you again. I just want to thank you and thank you, thank the team for that worship time. That was powerful. I felt God's spirit. We were praying downstairs, praying downstairs this morning, and I just felt, God, I, I just don't want to preach today. I'm just not feeling it. And then we had that worship session, and I'm thinking, come on, let's go. Let's meet with God. So... Um, I work two days a week as an emergency room doctor, and the rest of the time I help lead a missions organization called 500K, which sends Indian people to share the gospel and plant churches in unreached villages in India. I practice as an ER doctor in a place of London called Woolwich. We are the original home of the Arsenal Soccer Club if you've heard of them. I'm telling this to you to help you remember the place, and it's a precautionary note. So if you're in the Woolwich area of London and you're starting to feel sick, just try and make it to Lewisham. It's the next place, the next hospital, and then there's no chance that you'll have me as your doctor. So I've had a a busy two weeks traveling around the States. I landed in D.C. two weeks ago today from D.C. I was in Memphis, Memphis to Chicago, Chicago to Charlotte, Charlotte to New England. I, uh, I would have left the U.K. earlier to spend more time with you, but we had a very important day two weeks ago. Do you remember the day? It was the coronation of our King Charles III, so I said, sorry, America, I love you, but I've got my priorities. I, uh, I feel it's fitting that uh, I'm getting on a plane tonight and uh, heading, from, heading back to Old England. And I feel it's fitting that my last day is here in New England. We have an expression in the UK. We say, out with the old, in with the new. Well, as the ambassador of old England, I think today we can just take that saying and we can just jettison that. We can just put that to the side, put that in the trash. We, all, we also like to say uh, they don't make them like they used to. <laughs> I want that to be the theme for today. The ambassador from old England, come on, we don't make them like they used to. Just to share with you very briefly... Um, a little bit of the story. My parents read to us missionary stories growing up. These were just exciting adventure stories. I thought, that's what I want to do. I want to be a missionary. When I was 19, I had my place to go and study medicine. I went to India to get some mission experience. I saw what God was doing through the Indian church. And I just had a moment where I thought, you guys 
don't need me coming to you as a missionary. You're already doing it. How can I be a part of what God is doing here? And they told me I could help through giving. And I thought, through giving? They said, yeah, through giving. And I thought, hey, that's pretty exciting because I've got this passion for the gospel, but it is hard work. It's hard to get my friends into church. That's difficult, but I can make money. I don't even have to be particularly good. I just have to be at work. The money comes in. This is when people say, yeah, I'm not sure I want you as my, uh, as my doctor. <laughs> and I said, look, how much do these guys need? And they said, in your terms, we're talking about $80 a month, $1,000 a year. And I just thought, wow, that is exciting to think we can send these people to share the gospel in unreached communities for $1,000 a year. Rather than being just one missionary myself, I could be a doctor in the UK, earn a good salary, live as if I'm on that front line myself, that basic, simple missionary lifestyle, and donate the difference. And rather than be just one missionary, I'll be able to support 30, 40, 50. Some way uh, along the road, God God pushed us into launching this organization. And uh, our passion is that there is no treasure that compares to knowing Jesus Christ as Lord. No treasure that comes even close. All the benefits of this world, wealth, education, status, family, who you know, accomplishments, these are all good things, but they all pale in significance compared to that one detail. Have you had the chance to know Jesus as Lord and be transformed by him? So we found ourselves asking the question, what would it take? What would it take for every person in India to have a chance to hear this good news, to have a chance to follow Jesus as Lord? The research we had access to suggested that of the 600,000 villages in India, as many as 500,000, half a million, had no church, no Christian presence. Completely unreached. And our feeling was, how are these people going to have a chance to meet with Jesus if there's no local church who can share him with them? So we said, that's the need. That's the need in India. For every person to have access to this gospel, you'd need to have 500,000 churches. A church in every village in, in India, a gospel witness in every community. So now we call ourselves 500K. It's a, a code, code name to not draw too much attention to ourselves. But it helps us remember why we're here. Never forget that need. That need of getting the gospel to every person in India. That was eight and a half years ago, October 2014. We launched this mission organization. Back then we were supporting 30 church planters in India. Now, by grace of God, we're supporting 710. Each of these dots you see here, this is one of the indigenous missionaries. These are one of the Indian church planters. 710 people here. Amongst them, they are reaching a few thousand villages for the gospel. People are coming for prayer, coming for worship. You could say, well, a few thousand, that's great, but there's 500,000 villages. That's a lot. 
Well, here's the great news. We're just one small part of what God is doing to reach this mighty nation for Jesus. I want to uh, share to you from the Bible. Turn with me to Mark chapter 20. Sorry, Matthew chapter 20. Just before I start, I've realized I've uh, forgotten my manners. I want to say a, a huge thank you to everyone here, everyone who heard last year and gave and has been giving to support the work. I want to say a huge thank you to Bethany and Jason Syverson for hosting me these last few days and connecting me to the church. And uh, a huge thank you to Greg and the rest of the eldership for having me back to speak to you again. So Matthew 20, I'm going to speak from 29, verses 29 to, 30, uh, 29 to 34. The setting is Jesus is coming to the apex, the climax of his ministry for three years. He started in Galilee. He's been roaming the country of Israel, the ancient nation, preaching this gospel, healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out the demons, teaching people the good news. He is finally going up to Jerusalem the climax of his ministry. And what we see here is his last encounter before he enters the city triumphantly as king. Reading from verse 29. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of God. David, have mercy on us. Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. I want you to imagine what it was like for these two blind men. Life was desperately difficult for these people. No chance of earning an income. They're forced to live on the side of the road, outside the city, begging that they might have enough to survive. Perhaps they've been told they have been steeped in sin since the day they were born. That is why they were blind. These people were in a desperate situation. But you know what? These people, they are the symbol of every person on this planet. They are the symbol of every human being. Before they have a chance to meet with Jesus... We are not just lost. We're not just confused. We're blind. The truth is there. The secret of how to live is there. But we can't see it. Our eyes are shut. We're blind. We're lost. A colleague of mine, my best friend at work in the hospital with me, He's a doctor, he's good at his job, he's married, he's bought a house, everything has worked out well for him, but he doesn't know the Lord. He said to me the other day, Ed, you know what, I, I've got no purpose, I don't know why I'm here, I don't know what I'm doing, what's my motivation? This is our blindness without Jesus. Jesus. 
the son of David, have mercy on us, they cry. They're not just asking for help, they're crying for mercy. Help is not strong enough. We cry out to the Lord. What happens? Verse 31, the crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. Have you ever prayed to Jesus, expecting him to answer your prayer straight away, but he doesn't? In fact, other people come in, other people discourage you, they rebuke you. Why are you crying out to this man? You think God has time for you, one unimportant, insignificant person? So often the people who are meant to encourage us are the ones who discourage us. Tell us to stop crying out to Jesus, to stop praying, to stop persevering. What do these two blind men do? It says, they shouted all the louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. They kept shouting, they kept crying out, this is what Jesus is saying to us. You may have prayed before, you may have prayed once, you may have prayed twice. I'm saying to you, pray again, keep crying out to me. Verse 32, Jesus stopped and called them. Can you imagine that? The creator of the universe, the most valuable, precious, glorious being imaginable, the author of all things, he stops what he was doing. Just for these blind, supposedly worthless men. Not only that, he is in the middle, he is in the process of the most important mission God has ever been on. God himself is about to suffer and die. When I'm busy, when I'm stressed, I find it hard to listen to people when they ask for my help. God himself stops and he calls to these blind men. No grandiose statements. No theatrical performance. Only a humble question. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. That is what God says to us, what God asks to us. What do you want me to do for you? Verse 33, Lord, they answered, we want our sight. We want to see, we want to know the truth. We want to see how we can live, why it is we're here, why it is we have all these difficulties, these troubles. Jesus, show us the way, open our sight. What does it mean for us to be able to see this morning? My answer to you is that we might see with fresh eyes, 
the astonishment of the gospel. The extraordinary glory of Jesus Christ. Might we see this with new, fresh, just opened eyes this morning? I remember uh, when I'm at, at work in the emergency room. I'm only there two days a week, 3 p.m. to midnight. And uh, my friends say to me, you know, why, why are you only here two days a week? What is this about? What are you doing the rest of the time? And uh, I'm working in the, the National Health Service in England. It's, uh, it's a, a very progressive place. They're not too keen on people sharing the gospel. They say, what are you doing the rest of the time? And I say, well, I, I run a charity which helps support churches in India. And they say, oh, that's cool. You're helping out churches. Tell us a bit more. And I say, well, it's community development work and helping people out. They say, oh, that's great. Can you be a bit more specific? And I say, sure. We're, we're basically helping Indian people share the gospel, share their faith with other Indian people. And uh, it's like their faces suddenly drop. Oh, wait. So you're trying to convert people. Why don't you do something useful. And I say to them, well, we think it's a wonderful thing that we get to be doctors, we get to save lives, but I don't know why we say this. All of our patients still die. All we're doing on our best day is putting off the inevitable, putting off death. We like to flatter ourselves as life savers, but really we're death postponers and I say to these people I say to my friends I say listen I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ and his gospel really can save lives forever and ever and ever friends this is our gospel once I was traveling on the trains in India. It's a wonderful way to get around that country, see all the world go by. And a young man starts talking to me, and he starts asking me questions. Where are you from, and what are you doing here? And I thought, Lord, I don't want to speak to this man. I want to just be here and relax and pray. But his spirit was pushing me. So I start talking to him. And I say to him, what do you think about, about this world? What do you think about God? Do you think there is a God? And he said, well, of course. Look at this beautiful world we see around us. How can there not be a God? It's a very common response in India. And I said, tell me, what do you think God is like? And that was when he said, well, that's a good question. You see all these poor people on the side of the the train tracks here. We've just seen a child be beaten up by a ticket inspector on the train. said, I don't think this God can care about us very much. All these problems, all this suffering, he doesn't care. I had a chance to share what we believe with this man. 
I said, you see the pain and the suffering in this world? This is not the way God made it to be. It wasn't the way things were at the start. God made it good. It was only because of our rebellion from him, our turning away from him, that we find ourselves in the mess that we are now in with this pain and this suffering. But God loves us. It was not his plan. And God had a mission to change it all. Not some abstract idea, but a person, a particular place in history, a particular time in history. God became man. Jesus was on this world. He bled and he died on that cross to take away our sins. And now we can live with him forever as sons of God. And I said to this man, that message has been slowly spreading across the world. These last 2,000 years. And it's just made it to you for the first time in history. And he stood there. And there was silence. And then he blinked. And he just said, wow. And then there was more stunned silence. And then he, like, he did a double take again. And blinked and said, Wow. And this continued. There were quite a few iterations of this. Wow. We forget just how glorious, how wonderful this message is. But that man living in a culture which has no idea of the gospel, no possible way of thinking how God could love us and forgive us, It was like suddenly his eyes had been opened and he could see and he was astonished. Might our eyes be opened to the astonishment of the gospel? Not only do we hold in our hands the most amazing message, we also are all witnesses to the difference, to the change that Jesus has made in our lives. How he has turned them around. We all have the chance to witness to this, just like those two women who saw Jesus at the tomb, the empty tomb 2,000 years ago. They ran, afraid yet filled with joy to tell the disciples about Jesus, about their witness to him. We have met the risen Lord. All of us who know Jesus and follow him today, we have all met with the risen Lord. And we can testify to how he has changed our lives. My greatest pleasure with this mission work is getting to go to India and to go and visit these tiny little house churches and just start talking to people. And to say to them, just, just tell me your stories. Tell me how Jesus has made a change in your life. Because if all we're doing is getting people to change their hat, a Christian hat or a Muslim hat, taking that off, putting on a Christian hat, I'm not interested. I've got better things to do with my time. But if these people are meeting with the saviour of the world, the creator of the universe, their lives will be changed. You see this 
This is a, a tribal hamlet. There's only about five or six homes here. These people, they're a tribal people. They go up into the jungle. You see there up on the, the hilltop. This jungle, it's a reservation. So you've got tigers in there and bears in there and people will go on safari to see the animals. No one's allowed in there except for these tribal people because this is their ancestral way of doing life. These people, life is tough for them. There's another village I saw 500 meters up the road. The people in that village, they won't let these people you see in this photo, they won't let them use their borehole. They won't let them use their well. They say, these people, they're right at the bottom of the caste system. These people are untouchable. They can't come to our place. They'll pollute it. So they have to walk a mile and a half to the next well instead. In addition to that, these people, the nearby village, they're trying to evict these tribal people off that land so they can use it growing some crops, making some money. Life is tough. They go into the jungle and they harvest bamboo and they make this furniture that you see on the hut there. That's what they do, that kind of wicker bamboo stuff. And they go there, they harvest the bamboo, they come out, and even at the checkpoints as they leave the jungle, the border guards there force them to pay the money just to leave with this bamboo. They're the height of exploitation. And I start speaking to one of the ladies there. I say, how is... How has Jesus made a difference in your life? And she just says, here she is, this is lady in the middle with the yellow dress. She just said, before I was just filled, I was weeping every day, filled with sorrow and anxiety. Then I met with Jesus and I just have this deep joy in my heart. I said, tell, tell me more. This sounds amazing. Tell me more. And the missionary was telling me about how when he came to this community, he just said to people, how can, I, how can I help? I may not be able to solve your problems, but I'm a servant of God. I'm here to help in whatever way I can. So this lady, she starts to tell her story. She said her husband, he'd been in the jungle. He'd been harvesting this bamboo and his blade, it hit higher up on the branch and it slid down and it hits his little finger. Half of his finger is chopped off. He has to go to the hospital to pay for an operation to have the, the digit amputated. He's now $1,000 in debt. And these people do not have a lot of money. They're $1,000 in debt. And his wife said he still had bleeding and discharge from his hand, pain every day. So not only do we have this debt, he can't go out and work, so we've got no money coming in. Plus, I'm worried, is he even going to be Okay. This was our situation when that missionary, that church planter, came into this community. She poured out her heart to him. She shared this problem, this burden, and he said, well, this isn't something I can help with, but I believe in a God who answers prayer. Let me tell you about this God. And I'm going to show you how to pray to him for your husband. So this lady, her husband's on the right there, one of her children on the left, left. she prays. She said, all of a sudden... The bleeding in the hand stops. The discharge stops. The pain stops. Her husband was able to go to work again. But this is the really exciting thing. She said, the, the, the fact that God, God himself, had reached out her, this unimportant person, in this community who were told they're the lowest of the low, 
utterly worthless. God had reached out and answered her prayer, helped her. She said, what can we do with this God if he is for us? The power of faith. Armed with this new power of trusting in God, she and her husband, they stopped working long hours, working a few extra hours every evening. She told me, 18 months later, she and her husband, they've paid off that debt. Jesus Christ is in the business of transforming lives. I heard this story when I was in India in October. I was there again just two months ago in March. You have this photo here of this lady in uh, the orange dress. And I'm in a church meeting. And she stands up and she just starts sharing her testimony. You can see there's a big smile on her face right now. When she was in this meeting, she was just weeping. Tears were just streaming down her face. So much emotion when she started telling of what Jesus had done for her. She said, I think I'm about 32 years old. I don't actually know how old I am. No one kept a note of that in my community when I was born. When I was about 16 years old, I was married to a man, but he started drinking. He became an alcoholic. He started to beat me up. Because of all this drinking, he stopped working. Because his, all his money is going on alcohol and he's not earning, he said to me and my children, you need to go and live with your mother. He sent us away, back to my parents. And you know what he said to me? He said, I can leave you, but I can't leave the alcohol. Can you imagine hearing that? Such pain, such brokenness. She said at that time, she just had this horrible itching from her head to her toes, all over her body, itching. She had these nightmares tormenting her every evening. She said whenever she'd go into a room, she had a sense of alienation from the people there. She had to just leave the room. She couldn't be around them. And a 500k missionary comes to this community and says, I'm a servant of God. I'm looking for people to minister to. Let me tell you about this Jesus. Let's pray to him. This lady, she goes to the worship meeting. She gives her life to Christ. She receives prayer and she says, I was delivered. The itching stopped. The nightmares stopped. The sense of alienation stopped. Jesus saved me. She goes to her husband and she says, I want you to come to this worship meeting. I want you to hear about this Jesus. You know what he says? He says, no, I'm not interested. Push off. She goes back to the missionary. She's heartbroken. She's crushed. The missionary says, don't be discouraged. We're Christians and we pray. And they start praying and praying and praying and praying and praying and praying and praying. praying. Twelve months later, she speaks to her husband again. She says, come to this meeting. And he says, okay. That night, he hears the gospel. He gives his life to Christ. And he has never touched a drop of alcohol since. This was six months ago. Not touched a drop of alcohol since. This lady, she and her children, they've moved back in. 
He's treating her well. He's not beating her up anymore. He's going for work. He's providing for the family. The entire social situation has been transformed. And I could understand why she was weeping when she shared her story. And it is these witnesses, it is these testimonies that are powering the extraordinary growth of the church in India. Because people hear these stories, they hear her share her story, and they say, wow, if God could do that for her, what can God do for me? What can God do for me? I have uh, had the privilege of knowing a few friends come to know the Lord Jesus in my short life. And one of them, I, I said to her, how has Jesus made a difference in your life? This was another a doctor in the UK. And she said, it's like before, my life was black and white. It was just gray. And I gave my life to Jesus. It's been filled with color. That's what she said. Oh, Jesus. He doesn't just guarantee our eternal destinies. He gives us life in all of its fullness, in the here and the now. A peace that surpasses all understanding. He fills us to the measure with all the fullness of God. My patients in the emergency room, on a good day, they leave with a smile on their face, and I'm happy. But I have never, not even on my best day, had a patient say to me, Edmund, today I have received life in all its fullness. Maybe one day I will. But I doubt it. But this is our testimony as believers. Jesus brings us life in all of its fullness. I think we can so easily forget just what it is that Christ has done for us. Just how astonishing is the price that he paid for us. I remember talking to a friend who was losing his faith. Losing his faith. Starting to doubt in the Lord. And I told him a story. I said, imagine you're walking down the road with your best friend, your closest friend. Suddenly, a car comes veering around the corner. It's heading straight at you. You see that car. Your life flashes before your eyes. You know it's all over. And then your friend just jumps, pushes you out the way, but is himself hit by that car. You're there in those moments as his life is slipping away and you realize, my friend loved me enough to give his life for me. That would be a life-defining moment that would transform everything. But imagine time passes, people start coming to you, they start to doubt. Did your friend really do that for you? Was he, I don't, I don't remember this guy, who was he? You moved to a different city now, no one knows him, people begin to doubt. Could someone really love you that much? If that had happened to me, no matter how much I was beginning to doubt, 
I would say, I'm sorry. There's no way that I can turn my back on that friend who gave himself for me. I couldn't do that. That is what Jesus has done for us. We're so quick to lose this sense of gratitude. Every single day we have, it's a gift from the Lord. I woke up this morning. I don't know how I woke up this morning. I didn't wake myself up. God woke me up this morning and said, Edmund, I'm giving you another day of life. It's a gift. Every day is a gift. I haven't earned it. I haven't deserved it. It's a pure gift of grace from the Lord. Every wonderful moment with friends, every laughter of a child, every beautiful mountain, it's all gifts from God. And then he gave us his son, Jesus, as well. May we never lose that sense of gratitude. The story of Jesus and the two blind men Let's see how it ends. Verse 34. They've said to Jesus, Lord, we want our sight. Verse verse 34 reads, Jesus had compassion on them. Jesus had compassion on them. He has compassion on each of us this morning. He touched their eyes. Immediately, they received their sight and followed him. Friends, this morning, would Jesus touch our eyes again? Give us that sight. Remind us of his glory, his love, his value. And would we follow him? Would we be all in for following him? The one who gave everything for us will we not give it all back to him in our disciplines our daily habits of prayer of reading the word of meeting with one another for fellowship of our time of serving him serving one another of our treasure of giving what we have he gave it all to us how can we not give it back and our talents, the abilities that he has given us. Would we join in on this adventure, following in the footsteps of the man who died for us, who died for this world? What is it that he is calling us to do as we follow in his footsteps, as we join in this great, this amazing, this wonderful adventure? Jesus, Jesus, speak to us, we pray. Speak to us, show us what is the next step you would have us take, O Lord. Lord, teach us simply to love you more, to thank you more, and just say yes. Say yes to what it is you're calling us to do and to say yes to your plans to transform this world, transform this nation, transform New England, transform Manchester. Would we see your kingdom 
coming here, O Lord. Your kingdom coming here. Thank you, Lord, for how your church transforms everything. Not just us, not just the people within these walls. It transforms the whole city as your kingdom breaks in. Jesus, show us what you would have us do. Friends, we've heard these stories of India today. I actually had more stories that I wanted to share, but time has run away from us. But I just wanted to leave with you this thought. This year, our dream is to send out 400 more of these church planters. 400 more of these missionaries. That we might see many more stories like that of this lady in the orange dress. Many more stories of villages and communities that have been transformed. If you'd like to be a part of what God is doing, there are three simple ways. The first is prayer. We pray, we pray, we pray. We don't stop crying out like those blind men. We cry out all the louder. These people in India, when I'm there, every morning, one hour, sometimes two hours, praying, crying out to God. He hears prayers. He transforms nations. First of all, you can pray. We have a newsletter, a WhatsApp group. We share stories of what's happening in India, prayer requests, how you can pray. Second, we say preach. By that, we mean advocate. The word of this mission is all shared by word of mouth. One person connects us to another person, connects us to another person. That's how I'm here today. Who do you know who might want to hear about what God is doing in India? And finally, the third P is provide. If God is leading you to do so, you can partner through giving. It's very exciting is at the moment we've had a, a couple of very generous benefactors. They've offered match funding. So whatever's given, it's being matched, it's being doubled. And I just think it's so exciting to think $80 a month, that's what it cost for this person to go and share that community, share the gospel in that community. That's so exciting. I know that someone on the minimum wage in the UK, the lowest salary, in one day, they can earn enough to make this happen. One day in a month. Pray, preach, provide. There's sign-up sheets and there's information at the, the door at the back. I'll be there if anyone wants to speak or talk more or ask questions. But I want to close just by saying thank you. Thank you for having me here. Thank you for sharing some of your church, your community, sharing what God is doing here with me. And might we join hands in remembering just how astonishing our Jesus is, how extraordinary is our gospel, just how great and glorious is it. It are the things that God is calling us to do today as we follow him. Thank you. Thank you, Ed. Would you all stand with me as we close today? You know, as Ed shares the gospel of Jesus, Jesus is here today. If you don't know him as your savior, if you've never prayed 
to the Lord to say, God, would you forgive me of my sins? If you've never said thank you to Jesus because he died in your, on, your, on your behalf, in your place, and received him as your Savior, today is your day. You can come up afterwards. We're going to have a prayer team here. If you need prayer to receive Jesus, if you want prayer for anything in, in your life that's going on right now, we've got people that are here that want to pray with you. So let's, let's close our service in, in a time of prayer. Father, thank you for this message from Ed. Lord, thank you for what you're doing in, in India. Lord, we pray your blessing upon all these indigenous pastors in India that are preaching the word. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be able to give, to provide, that as these men and women go to, to Bible school, Lord, there's more and more pastors being sent out every year. Thank you for their heart, for their mission. Lord, help us to partner with what you're doing there in India. And God, I pray for each one here today. Lord, we, we give you thanks for this day. God, we give you thanks that we all woke up today and we had breath in our lungs. Lord, we had sight in our eyes. God, we could come and enjoy a time of church. Lord, I, I pray that we wouldn't take it lightly, Lord, what you've done for us. So we give you praise. We give you thanks. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a great day. God bless you all.